Today we continue our series in the Psalms of Ascent. Over the past few months, through our time in Revelation and Nehemiah, we have seen that the church is the new Jerusalem. The church is the heavenly city of God upon the earth. And when we build her up, when we build up the church, we are building up the new Jerusalem, the city of God. And now we are turning to the Psalms of Ascent, which have a lot to teach us about the new Jerusalem. The Psalms of Ascent were songs that Jewish pilgrims sang as they journeyed toward Jerusalem for their annual feasts. You see, the journey to Jerusalem was an uphill journey. As the pilgrims approached the city, they were moving higher and higher in elevation. They were ascending. And so we call these the Psalms of Ascent. Today we're looking at Psalm 126, um, but several generations before Psalm 126 was written, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and the people of Israel were taken into exile. And as these people were being carried away by their enemies, the prophet Jeremiah delivered a promise from the mouth of God himself. This is Jeremiah chapter 30. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. And then later in chapter 32, which we just read, thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Fields shall be bought for money, and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah, and in the cities of the, of the Negev, for I will restore their fortunes. So the people of God are being carried away into a foreign land. They're being taken from the land of promise. And so, and so they're weeping and they're mourning. But the word of the Lord comes to them in that moment through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, in due time, I will restore your fortunes. Psalm 126, verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. We rejoice, it says. So this psalm is speaking of the return from exile. It was quite possibly written during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. And for those who had been carried away into exile, into captivity, uh, the restoration of the city of Jerusalem was, was almost too good to be true. They were like those who dream. They were living a dream come true. Their mouths were filled with laughter. Their tongues sang a glad song. And the people of Israel were not the only ones who understood the significance of this restoration. The nations also witnessed the restoration, and they were, forced, they were faced with the inescapable reality that God had accomplished this. They said among the nations, the, the Lord, that is Yahweh, has done great things for them. The nations are awestruck. And as they confess that God has done great things for his people, the psalmist 
jumps in and affirms that confession. Yes, he has. Both Israel and the surrounding nations, both God's people and their neighbors, are testifying with one voice to the faithfulness of God. So in verses 1 to 3, the psalmist is looking backward at the faithfulness of God in the past. Um, God has been faithful to restore us. But in verse 4, the, the psalmist snaps back to the present moment and begins looking forward. God, please restore us again. Restore us even further, more completely. And so the psalmist has been, he has been the recipient of divine grace. But the psalmist is nonetheless convinced that there is more divine grace to be had. Verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev is a desert in Judea. The word Negev just means dry. So this is the dry desert. It's not not very creative, um, but it is very appropriate. The southern region of the Negev sees less than one inch of rain each year. It's a non-arable environment, meaning you cannot grow crops there. And some scholars have suggested that that the Negev is what King David is talking about when he refers to the valley of the shadow of death. And so for the psalmist, God's restoration is like water in the desert. Water in a dry land. Not only is the restoration of God refreshing, it also gives life. Water in the desert prepares the ground for sowing and reaping. When the Lord restores his people, the wilderness becomes a garden, and the wasteland produces a harvest. And so from verse 4 on, agriculture is the primary theme of this psalm. And this is a a perfect metaphor for what the people hope to see God do. They want to see the dry and desolate city of Jerusalem become a place of life and fruitfulness. To the degree that the church is dry and desolate, we want to see it become a place of life and fruitfulness. You know, there there seems to be a certain um, pressure and weight that modern people share in common. Sometimes we are acutely anxious, and sometimes it's like our anxiety is on a low simmer. But for many of us, anxiety is is always lurking. It's always lurking. There is general uncertainty. There is a general fear of the future. There is a degree of general hopelessness in our society. Anxiety and hopelessness have become, in some ways, the air that we breathe. And, and the thing about air is that we aren't usually cognizant of the fact that we are breathing it. We don't always realize how anxious we really are. But, brothers and sisters, life doesn't have to be that way. Life does not have to be like that. And by that, I, I don't mean to say snap out of it. It's, it's rarely that easy. I simply mean to say that, that our God, our God is the God of restoration. He is the God of making good out of bad. 
And we are those who trust in him. We are the recipients of his restoration. We can be like trees planted by streams of living water. We can be like trees in the Negev. Though we are surrounded by wilderness and wasteland, we can plant roots and we can thrive and we can bear fruit. Our mouths can be filled with laughter. Our tongues can sing glad songs. The Lord has done great things for us, and we can be glad. We can rejoice. We don't have to experience the futility of the world the way the rest of our society experiences the futility of the world. We are not hopelessly destined to be anxious and weighed down all the time. We can experience life as divine blessing upon divine blessing. We can assume a posture of uh, gratitude and contentment. We can praise God for his past faithfulness, and we can trust God for his future faithfulness. We believe that, that Jesus is here, right? Jesus is here with us right now in this moment. And he has said to us that he is offering us a better way to live. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find water in the wasteland. And so we follow him, and we entrust ourselves to him. We cast our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. Jesus cares for you. Listen, uh, Jesus cares for you, and he actually has the power to care for you. He doesn't care for you like a mere human being cares for you. Often, for as much as we care for one another, for as much as we empathize with one another, we are ultimately powerless to change things. But Jesus not only cares, he is also in control. He is the restorer of fortunes. For those who hope in him, deserts are just eventual rivers. For those who hope in Jesus, deserts are just eventual rivers. For those who hope in Jesus, suffering is just fruitfulness in seed form. Verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy, glad song. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seeds for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Because we worship the God of restoration, our tears are the seeds of hope. Because we worship the God of restoration, our weeping will ultimately prove fruitful. The tears we shed in faith will bear a harvest. You know, there's a, there's a myth that I think we all tend to believe, and we probably wouldn't say it out loud, uh, but the way we respond to trial and suffering reveals that we do believe it to a degree. And the myth is this. If I am faithful, nothing bad will happen to me. Or the flip side is that... Um, Bad things are happening to me, therefore I must have been unfaithful. 
That's a myth. The truth is, bad things happen to faithful people. Look at Job. Look at Jesus. Jesus was perfectly faithful, and his life was very difficult. As I've said before, God loves you, and he has a difficult plan for your life. God loves you, and he has a difficult plan for your life. I want you to sit, sit with that. That is profound. God loves you, and he has a difficult plan for your life. But those who sow in tears shall reap with glad songs. Those who go out weeping shall return with a full harvest. Life is hard. Life in this world is hard. Severed relationships, family strife, divorce, global pandemics, miscarriages, infertility, unwanted singleness, wars, illnesses, political corruption, painful experiences within the church. But Psalm 126 assures us that God is doing something with all those tears. God is doing something with all those tears. In fact, the psalmist is so confident in the future faithfulness of God that he is able to rejoice today in the present our tears do not fall to the ground in vain. As we, as we plod along, as we sow our tears, we trust in the future faithfulness of God. When the tears come, when the tears come, the answer is not to push them back or to hide them. The answer is to trust God as they fall because they are the seeds of hope. The answer is to trust that our tears will eventually sprout up into something good. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Jesus wept, right? Jesus wept. Jesus shed tears on the cross. Never has there fallen a more faithful tear. And think about it. We are still harvesting those tears today. The tears of Christ on the cross are still bearing fruit today. And the tears of Jesus will bear fruit into eternity. If you would, uh, turn to the second to last page of your bulletin. This is a picture of a stream flowing through the Negev. As you can see, this is a dry land, um, but I, I just want you to see what a small stream can produce. It's even better in color. The world around you can be rocky and lifeless, but your fortunes have been restored like streams in the, in the Negev. God will fulfill his promises to you. Expect suffering. Expect tears. But as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, be steadfast, 
immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so the question is, are, are you sufficiently rooted in the Lord? Are you sufficiently rooted in the Word of God? Are you receiving adequate nourishment? Are you secure enough in Him now to keep on hoping when the tears come? This might require a break from social media. This might require that we reduce our news intake, turn off our devices, practice solitude, learn the blessing of quietness every once in a while. For a tree to grow healthy roots, it needs space and time. So we need margin. We need Sabbath. We need prayer and meditation and fellowship and glad songs. In Psalm 126, the the psalmist is looking back at God's past faithfulness and forward to God's future faithfulness. The people are described as dreamers. And truly, the, the future for which they longed was a waking dream. And to a degree, to a very large degree, actually, we are living that dream. We are living the dream of our forefathers. We get to read Psalm 126 looking back upon the restoration and deliverance of the world in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we get to look forward to the ultimate restoration and deliverance of Jesus when he returns. Those who dwell upon the riches of this gospel are the true dreamers. Our present is glorious and our future is going to be better than we even know to hope for. The present desert is just an eventual river. And our present suffering is fruitfulness in seed form. And so in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering, when the tears come, please keep on hoping. Keep on hoping. The God of restoration will surely produce an abundant harvest, both both now in this age and for eternity in the age to come. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you have done great things for us. You have restored our fortunes like streams in the dry desert. We are glad, we rejoice, and we give you thanks. Jesus, this this new world you have established is a waking dream. Because of you, uh, we have hope for a glorious future. Your gospel is good. Holy Spirit, please see to it that we are deeply rooted and well-nourished. Give us us abundant faith when the tears come and, and produce in us and produce through us a harvest. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.